welcome back to another episode of Incheck with Fintech. Today we have the absolute pleasure to be joined by Magali van Bilk, head of EMEA Policy and Campaigns at WISE. Magali is also a board member at Pay Belgium and a member of Payment Systems Market Expert Group at the European Commission. As a Belgian based in London, she is focused on financial services policy and consumer awareness campaigns to make finance fairer. Enjoy listening. Magali, welcome to Incheck with Fintech. Thank you. It's great to be here. So tell us, I mean, in the intro, probably people heard what you've done and people can look obviously on your, on your LinkedIn, but um, just in the pre-show, we spoke shortly about what you've done before you came to WISE, right? You were a journalist. Um, I saw you were a biography writer as well at one point. You were a translator. Uh, you were teaching uh, refugees as well, French and uh, Dutch classes. Uh, now you are WISE, but you're also a board member at Pay Belgium, and you're a member of the Payment System Market Expert Group at the European Commission. So without going into detail of all those points, which I'm sure we'll touch on throughout this, this show, but what would you say throughout your career has been that one thing that has determined who you are or where you are today? To be honest, um, and I know this is going to sound so cliche because I'll be talking about WISE so much during this podcast anyway, but... Um, when I lived in Brussels, uh, it's where I'm originally from, I uh, was making my move to London. And as part of that move to London, I signed up to become a wise customer and really, really loved the business. And then when I was in London, at the time, they had this huge ad campaign all over the tube. It was that moment when your bank overcharges you when you send money abroad and it was just plastered everywhere and it kept getting these touch points of these really funky pretty aggressive uh, ads all over the tube and i was like this company basically keeps stalking me and i really loved that message and it really resonated with me because i tried to send money via my bank at first got massively stung and then with with wise or transfer wise at the time um, it was completely different. So I was like, this is this is a sign. I should just look for jobs there. And then it took a while until I found something that actually worked for my skill set. Um, but a few months later, I, I joined the business and I've been there for over seven years now. And rest is history, to be honest. So here we are. So how opening a bank account can change your career trajectory, basically. I know it's probably a very boring anecdote, but um, <laughs> it's definitely... It's definitely changed the way my career has developed because I was in a completely different field before that, as you say, and now it's it's all fintech, it's all payments, it's all campaigning for fairer finance and so on. So um, it's been a very pivotal moment. Crazy though, that's sending money to exotic places like Belgium from the UK, you still have to pay massive fees, right? Uh, if you go to it, well, maybe not anymore, but back then to a traditional bank, let's say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean... You would think that by now this would no longer be the case, but unfortunately, um, still, still very much the status quo. Banks still hiding fees, and you end up with so much less than you originally bargained for, um, and that's just you know purely enabled by all of these kind of vague rules and revenue streams that banks want to continue exploiting. We'll talk about it in a bit. I think there's more to uh, more to unpack there, but for the people, I mean, I guess. It's hard to not know of WISE um, and who WISE is, but I guess your vision is money without borders, right? What does that mean? What does that mean to WISE? What does that mean to you as an, as part of WISE? So our mission has been money without borders from day one. It's basically making sure that money moves 
instantly, conveniently, transparently, and eventually for free. And we know that eventually for free can sometimes trip people up because they think, you know, you're not a charity, you're still a money, you're still a money making business. So what's up with that? But it's very much like our direction of travel. So we're constantly trying to make changes and trying to find savings for our customers that we pass on in in the form of lower fees to them. So we'll continue working to make sure that actually we deliver that money with our borders, that international money movement and that international money management to as many people as possible all over the world. I think when we started, it was so focused on just purely money transfer, but right now it's it's an international account. You can hold up to 40 currencies. It's um, it's really bringing this kind of multi-currency international account proposition that was so um, reserved for kind of the, the elite with tens of thousands of pounds or euros in their bank accounts and was completely inaccessible to, you know, people like you and me or definitely me. I'm, I don't want to speak for you here, but um, I think that is that's been really powerful and it's really that money without borders uh, mission that drives that making sure that as many people as possible get access to all of these services that were perhaps more destined to a kind of elite um within within the international finance industry but then separately that in that money transfer proposition that we've got is really focusing on financial inclusion and giving these people access to um, cheaper ways of, of sending money to friends and family abroad. And I think um, that Money Without Borders mission is making sure that we keep that at the back of our minds when we expand into new markets, we go we go deeper, we go broader, um, and that will continue powering what we do at WISE for the next however many decades. I guess that's where that Money Without Borders, that international money movement, that's where the friction kind of exists, right? So if you focus on local money, let's say, so you only offer bank accounts in, in pounds in the UK, um, it is less complicated than if you go international, that's where friction exists. Um, and that's where the real challenge lies. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, international payments are so slow, they're so expensive. And I think people have become so used to this, uh, you know, this standard of a domestic financial service, you know, payments, especially when you when you look at things from your Dutch account, for example, you've got things like Ideal, everything moves uh, instantly, everything is relatively cheap. But then as soon as you have to cross borders, things slow down to such a snail's pace. Everything is so much more opaque, so much more expensive. You know, um, it's not uncommon when you try to send money abroad that it says three to five business days. It's 2023, right? Like that's no longer acceptable, especially if you if you're used to a pretty quick national service. And why is like our payments are nearly 60 percent instant? So we try to solve that problem as much as possible. We, we tell you when your money is going to arrive, so you're not constantly worried about where your money is at any given time. And we also try to make it as cheap as possible. And I think. It's so common to see an upfront fee that is pretty high already. And then at the end, you get stung with like this hidden fee that was so much higher than the initially high upfront fee already. And with WISE, you just don't get that. So we we remain committed to that huge amount of transparency and telling our customers when they can expect their money and how much they can expect on the other side. 
Yeah, before we talk further about the hidden fees, but I mean, hidden fees, you guys done a research on it. Um, you've run several campaigns on it. You continue to run campaigns on it. You said uh, in the pre-show that you live and breathe kind of the campaign and maybe listeners know of the uh, campaign with the truck where I think you were in front of the British Parliament um, and you had the balloons and uh, it was all about uh, getting that transparency when it comes to cross-border payments, but it was in line with cross-border a cross-border payment regulation that was implemented back in 2020, right? Can you give us a quick masterclass on that regulation specifically? Is that okay? Yeah, sure. I mean, I can talk to you about regulation as much as you want. Um, so basically, back in 2017, 2018, there was this piece of law in the EU called the Cross-Border Payments Regulation. And it was hugely positive because for the first time, it actually forced providers to disclose all charges to consumers and to businesses whenever they send money within the European Union. So unfortunately, not for all cross-border payments, but at least to all intra-EU payments. So that in and of itself is is pretty revolutionary. And we were the first ones to be super enthusiastic about this. Now, the problem with that piece of law is there's a rule that says you need to disclose all currency conversion charges to your customers. And obviously, to people like you and I, all currency conversion charges would mean telling you the whole truth and nothing but the truth about what it is that you're paying for your international money transfer. Now, the way that most banks have interpreted this is by, okay, we have to disclose the upfront fee, but the charge that we hide in our terrible exchange rate that we give to our customers, we don't really have to tell you about this because we don't consider that a currency conversion charge. That's just something else that we don't want to name, but it's definitely not that. So they continued getting, they continued to get away with hiding all of these fees in, in their exchange rates. And that's part of the research that we've done. So we have tried to put ourselves in the shoes of a consumer. So you log into your bank, you try to make a transfer from Euro to any other European currency. And then we tried to see how much remains hidden. And unfortunately, it was still quite a lot. Um, and that's not really the conclusion that we wanted to come to. But unfortunately, it's what we've had to conclude. So as part of this research, we found that actually most banks hide between one and four and a half percent in in these hidden fees. Now, if you're sending 10 euros, that might not seem like that much. But if you're sending a large amount of money, say you want to go and study in in another country, or you're trying to buy a house in another country, or you're retiring in another country, and you're constantly having to send and receive money internationally, that really adds up. And that's screwing people over massively. And we thought that this law would solve that. But in reality, we've seen that it hasn't, except for two banks. We've discovered two banks so far that are truly transparent and they've just interpreted this from, you know, in the same way that WISE does and showing some goodwill to their customers. And um, actually one of those banks is Dutch, uh, it's ING. Yeah. ING is incredibly transparent. They disclose all of these currency conversion charges. They say exactly how much money they are charging in their exchange rate. Now the exchange rate they give you isn't amazing, but they tell you exactly what you pay and then based on that cost you can choose to move away from ing and find somewhere cheaper 
or you can stay with your bank because it is hugely convenient, right? To continue transferring money without having to change services and so on. So you can choose convenience, but you can choose that based on what you know. Whereas right now, most people have no idea because their bank just hides it from them entirely. A regulation, great. Although it's not, the, the definitions are somewhat vague so that banks don't have to, uh, the, like, the regulation has to be enforced in the same way as maybe an ING. And I think Starling is the other one uh, yeah. are doing. Why do you think, no, sorry, let me take a step back and ask you one more thing on the, on the research. How many banks did you look at in Europe? So um, we looked at about 30 different banks um, and the overwhelming majority, about 90% of them um, still hide fees. And that ranges from like hiding fees completely, just it's completely impossible for you to figure it out unless you're like me and you're a true nerd and you you compare the Google exchange rate and then the bank's exchange rate and you, you do a whole bunch of maths with percentage calculations and so on to figure out exactly what it is that they're ripping you off on. Um, or you have certain banks who actually do tell you what you're being charged, but they deliberately choose to hide it behind the tooltip. So you really have to go and look for it, click on the little like asterisk or the little I for additional information. And then there the total cost will be displayed. But it's just the fact that a lot of these banks tell you, oh, we're, we're completely incapable of showing you the total cost because actually technologically that requires quite a bit of um, coding and additional implementation and the cost of compliance is really high. So we, we cannot do this, this is impossible. And then you see the total cost displayed behind the tooltip. So the argumentation just falls down completely. So you have those different ways in which banks hide fees, but they hide fees nonetheless, which is pretty disappointing. Why do Starling and ING, why are they so transparent, you think? Is it a matter of them having customer experience higher up the priority list? Or why do you, I don't know if you have spoken to them directly about this, but why are they transparent or not? What's the benefit to them? I mean, you'd have to ask them for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be very intrigued to see what they say, but I think there's probably two reasons. So one is they just believe that it's the right thing for their customers um, and they want to be truthful. And I think there's more of an expectation from customers right now that their bank is, is truthful with them and they can trust them or they will be looking for alternatives just because there are so many ways of comparing different providers and so on. Um, and with money transfer, it's still pretty complicated to compare it, but because you can compare for so many other things, I think maybe they just try to embody the transparency across the board for all of their services. And then secondly, I think there's just a real push from a regulatory perspective and banks know that this is coming down the track eventually. So they might just be getting ahead of the regulatory requirements at this stage. There's a push on a global level, for example, um, to make sure that banks disclose all of these hidden fees. There's um, more regulation from an EU perspective that's coming down the tracks. There's been a real push from, from the EU, for example, on making sure that whenever you send money to Ukraine, you're being truly transparent because there's a real need for these people to ensure that as much money arrives on the other side as possible because they're obviously facing horrific, horrific, um, a horrific situation and they will need all the funds that they can get. So 
I think it's probably a push and a pull at the same time. And, and that's my guess for why they, they're being transparent. I guess you have to be you or wise has to be probably a spokesperson for consumers, right? Because I, as a consumer, it's kind of transparency versus the cheapest option, right? Uh, if I would look at indeed regularly sending money cross border, I would look for the cheapest one. Uh, and I maybe don't care so much about transparency because that's not on top of my priority list, but I don't know what it's like to be transparent. Maybe do you see what I mean? So I guess you're speaking on behalf of, you're trying to speak on behalf of consumers more so and fighting for them. For sure. And I think that's, that's one of the key problems, right? There is a complete lack of awareness because how would you know as a consumer that your bank is not being truthful with you unless you go and check, check your bank statements at the end to see, oh, actually there was way more that was debited from my account or, oh, the my recipient just told me that actually they received much less than I thought they were going to receive. It takes a few additional steps to figure out that, you know, you ended up with much less. And also as a consumer, if you see, oh, my bank is offering me free transfers, but then actually about 4% is hidden in an inflated exchange rate, you're going to think that your transfer is free because why would you not trust it when your bank tells you that something is free and what could be better than free? Your incentive to go and shop around is completely gone because you've already found the cheapest option. It's free. Yeah, true. What's your guess on why banks hide their fees? Is it purely a money-making exercise? I think... Yeah, unfortunately, it's. Uh, I think it's just the way it's always been done. Um, banks have been able to to hide these fees forever, and it's it's the reason why Wise was founded because both of our founders got massively stung when they moved money internationally. So they tried to come up with a different solution using the real exchange rate, the one you you'd see on Google, um, just the mid market rate. And I think that's the journey that most consumers go to. They Google how much is a thousand euros in pounds and expect that that's more or less what they're going to receive minus the the upfront fee that your bank might charge you. But they're not going to look for, you know, how many percentage points is hidden in inflated exchange rates. That's just for, you know, people who work in these industries and know what they're looking for. Um, so I think that this information asymmetry that the financial services industry has thrived on to some extent. And right now it, it is hard to make international payments and it's not cheap to make international payments, but at the same time, it shouldn't be about lying to your customers. So that's our whole argument. We're not telling you, oh, you shouldn't be charging your customers anything. You should be offering the service at free. We're just asking the rest of the industry to tell their customers exactly what it is that they're being charged. Um, and right now, I think we've managed to, well, the financial services industry has managed to get away with, with continuing to hide these fees just because regulators and policymakers hadn't really considered this to be a problem because it's considered relatively niche. Um, it's considered as a problem that only affects a small number of people, but in an increasingly globalized world and in, especially within the EU, with so many people changing countries, changing jobs, changing schools, going on exchanges, it actually affects so many more people than policymakers realize. And people are catching onto this, which is I think why you see this huge regu regulatory push 
to address these payments. You see it on a G20 level, you see it on an EU level, even on a domestic level. Um, we'll be seeing more of this going forward. And I think banks will no longer be able to get away with hiding fees in the future. Yeah, I was going to ask, how does this kind of regulation look on a more global scale? I mean, this is at EU level, you said, right? Is this something that is already implemented on a global scale or not? Because why is it everywhere, right? Not just uh, focused on Europe. So how do you see that elsewhere? There are definitely initiatives on a global level. So there's one that's driven by the G20 itself. Um, there's a roadmap on enhancing cross-border payments that's been hugely influential and is really trying to make sure that um, whenever you send money internationally, you also disclose any FX markups. It's a bit vague in terms of what this actually means in practice. So we've got a we've got some thinking around that and we've put that together to make sure that we've got a policy solution that we can actually offer people that doesn't cost too much, that is really easy to understand for consumers. Um, so we're I think we'll see that more from a G20 perspective than you've got the whole UN um, sustainable development goal is to lower remittance costs to three percent or lower by 2030. Right now, we're nowhere near that, unfortunately. So I think it, there's a real push from from these super supranational organizations to make sure that actually when you become transparent, you introduce a certain competition in the market and people move away from these horrifically expensive providers to cheaper alternatives when they're available. And that's when you'll force those expensive providers to lower their costs, to lower the average cost, and we'll get to 3%. So globally, I think there's enough moving that indicates the direction of travel and providers can no longer just put their hands in front of their eyes and pretend that nothing's happening. But then you also need domestic legislation. Um, you need regulators on national levels to crack down on all of these dishonest and misleading practices. So we see this in the US, for example. In the US, you had um, Senator Warren um, like writing about hidden fees in remittances, trying to make sure that they were banned as part of a junk fees initiative, because ultimately these hidden fees are just junk fees. And President Biden has hugely pushed to make sure that these junk fees get banned going forward. And the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau in the US is cracking down on these remittance fees or like these hidden fees in remittances rather. So there's definitely a push. I think in APAC, it's a little bit slower on the regulatory side. But what we see there is, I think, quite interesting. There you've got the industry actually leading the way. So um, one of Wise's partners in the region, um, Mandiri Bank, one of the largest banks in Indonesia, they've recently gone uh, completely transparent. So they, they tell their customers exactly what they're being charged. And I mean, they have millions and millions and millions of customers. And in Indonesia, remittances are hugely important. So bringing all of these tens of millions of, of people into you know, transparent payments will have a huge impact on, on the region and on the country as a whole. And I think once those providers showcase the benefits of, of going transparent to regulators, then we'll see that regulation coming down the tracks. But it's, it's interesting that from an EU, UK, US perspective, it's the regulators leading the industry, whereas there might be more the industry leading regulators. Maybe it's because there is a lack of a central 
governmental body to organize regulation in the region, you think? Or is it because they're more technology advanced or because they're further... Yeah, you said Indonesia, right? It's an important country for remittances. Uh, obviously, Indonesians travel all over the world. They work all over the world. Um, probably more so than maybe uh, the typical American or, or European. Um, what do you think is the reason why they do it that way? And we do it in the EU, US, UK differently. I think they just have different priorities. Um, I mean, the the European, US and UK financial systems have been established for, for so long and we've gone through so many iterations of these rules already, whereas they might not exist or not to the same extent, at least, um, in, in other regions. Makes sense. Well, at the EU level then, because you are part of the um, payment systems market expert group, right, at the European Commission. Are you involved in the development of this typical regulation? I mean, I think you joined two and a half years ago, right? That expert group. So I guess it's, it includes nicely with what you're doing at WISE. Um, what is your involvement in that? Do you have any influence on these kind of regulations? So the expert groups um, are there to advise the European Commission on any regulation that they might be considering in the future. Um, and I think, I mean, you've been in, in the fintech industry for, for a little bit. So PSD2 has dominated our lives for, for a little while now. And I think now that they've come out with, um, with PSD3 and the PSR, we, um, we as the expert group have, have been talking to the European Commission about the, the problems with PSD2 and what should be addressed in the, in the next review and, what they should be thinking about to make sure that you know consumers and businesses can actually thrive through payments regulation. So in the last two and a half years, we've had so many discussions about what needed to happen. And obviously there are loads of diverging views in within that group. There are banks, consumer organizations, fintech companies. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty diverse bunch. And I think from my perspective, what I've been really advocating for is this transparency in cross-border payments as well as you know allowing for more competition between banks and, and fintech companies more generally one of the other things i could bore on about um for as, as long as you like is making sure that you know there's there's more direct access to payment systems for for you know fintech companies without a banking license because it's completely antiquated to me that you would need a banking license to make payments a payments license should technically be enough. True. I think we'll do another podcast on that, maybe, Magali, at some point. <laughs> uh, but that's interesting. Yeah. All right. Okay. That involvement is uh, really cool. And yeah, like I said, it goes in hand in hand with what you're obviously doing uh, doing at WISE. What does the future look like for, what does your ideal future look like for these kind of regulation for cross-border payments? I mean, I think... Our mission kind of speaks for itself a bit. So, you know, money without borders, instant, convenient, transparent, eventually free. I think if you look at those four pillars, there is so much more that we can do through regulation to make sure that, you know, they become a reality. Now with instant payments, we're pretty much getting there. Uh, the European Union is just in the final stages of its uh, negotiations on the instant payments regulation, finally making instant payments mandatory. Um, so that will be a huge step forward for, for consumers and also for just instant payments more broadly. Uh, then if you look at convenience, costs and transparency, I think it's everything we've just spoken about. 
making sure that, you know, banks need to be truly transparent to their customers, all of this misleading advertising of free transfers, and then everything hidden in the small print or in a PDF, three clicks down the line, um, that really should no longer be possible. And I think then we'll get to a truly competitive market, which will also force all of these providers to continue um, developing better services, to truly compete with these fintech companies and so on, or even partner with them, right? I don't I don't want to position this as, as a war between fintech companies and banks. I think that's how it originally maybe started because... I mean, you've seen you've seen Wise in the early days. We were pretty pretty strong in um, in some of our positioning. We ran around the streets naked to show that we had nothing to hide, unlike all of these hidden fees being charged by banks and so on. But right now, we also partner with seventy um, businesses and banks all over the world. That really would have been. Pretty unthinkable, probably, in 2011 when we first started and we took those aggressive stances. But right now, I think the banks are really changing uh, their attitude. Fintechs are changing their attitude. And they're seeing that as soon as, you know, you have a fintech company that's become really great in doing one thing really, really well to an incredibly high standard. And you have banks that are trying to do a million things, probably to a relatively average standard. It might be better and it might be a big win-win if you just partner with that fintech company, integrate that service into your own service. And then your customers win. You get If you integrate with WISE, you get transparent services. You don't have to think about all the regulation that's coming down the track. It's cheaper, it's faster, it's just more convenient for your customers. And that um, you know, rebundling and collaboration between the two, I think is really um, empowering and will just open doors. Because that's what fintech is all about, right? It's a re- change in regulation driven by innovation, competition, digitization uh, will eventually help us get to a place where, in this case, money without borders. Exactly. Exactly. That's the goal. Exactly. Yeah. Great, Magali. Well, thanks you for being on the show. Great to uh, hear from you, hear your thoughts. Um, I guess introduce yourself as well to the to the listeners. And uh, yeah, watch this space. There might be a second uh, podcast coming up uh, talking about your other passion. Please sign me up. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of In Check with Fintech. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button and leave us a comment below. We'll be having more industry leaders soon, so don't forget to subscribe as well in order to keep updated with the latest episodes of our podcast.